the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah. I'm Sarah Pion, your host, and today we have Brian Applegarth. Brian is a strategic voice and leader in the advancement of cannabis-related travel and tourism. He's the founder of Cultivar Brands, a solutions provider for destinations and strategic marketing agency and a strategic marketing agency at the intersection of travel and cannabis. The Cannabis Trail, a nonprofit dedicated to preserving and celebrating cannabis history and culture in Northern California, and the Cannabis Travel Association, an international nonprofit organization focused on advocacy, education, and networking. He also serves as a subject matter expert for industry organizations like the California Travel Association, Destinations International, San Francisco Travel, Sonoma County Tourism. Visit Greater Palm Springs, visit West Hollywood, and the Las Vegas Chamber of Cannabis. Holistic strategy, innovation, and thought leadership at the intersection of cannabis and tourism is a signature of his work. I met Brian a few years ago when I was one of the co-chairs of Legalization Task Force, and we brought him in as a subject matter expert when we were discussing the future of cannabis, what that was going to look like, especially with cannabis tourism, which is something that we've really noticed the impact of with the pandemic. Pandemic because though more people are using cannabis now than ever as a result of being home and maybe even doing some self-exploration, we're also seeing tourism numbers that have, they're coming back up now, but when everything was in a standstill, a lot of dispensaries started to realize how much we actually depend on visitors coming and purchasing from us. So I'm really, really excited about our conversation today. Brian, welcome. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And before we get into all that wonderful stuff, I wanted to ask you what your first cannabis experience was like. Oh, my goodness. Uh, My first cannabis experience uh, was in eighth grade. (laughs) Me too. And really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah, it was in eighth grade, and I remember feeling, like, altered for the first time, very clearly. And, uh, and yeah, so that was, it was my sister's boyfriend, my older sister's boyfriend, who I think was a junior or senior at the time. It's and always those upperclassmen that get you in trouble. <laughs> no, corrupting us, young, innocent minds. I know, how funny. But, yeah, I mean, it was totally, I remember it vividly, yeah. Um, it was just an evening, and hanging out with the guys and, and, uh, I think I smoked out of a bong. I think it was a bong rip. I think that was my first time and, <laughs> and sat there and went, Whoa. Um, so yeah. And then used it periodically from there, different times in my life. And, and now I'm pretty much a daily user these days, um, as a wellness tool. Yeah. I, I'm exactly the same way. What now there's a huge difference between appreciating it and being immersed in it 24 seven, like we are. What, what made you do the leap? I truly believe that hemp and cannabis can make the world better. Not to get, not to go there so quick, but it's true. I think that hemp and cannabis are, are emerging now um, for a reason. And the more that I learned um, about cannabis and hemp, the more I really understood the importance of this uh, being, uh, being educated about and being relatable and shining a light on the history and culture of it prior to prohibition. Um, 
so I think kind of my purpose through all my work, the through line is that I believe that hemp and cannabis can make the world more sustainable, kinder, more compassionate, um, whether that comes in the form of hemp packaging or whether that comes in the form of a, of a dab or, or a CBD massage. Um, I think that across the board, it imparts good to the world. Yeah. It, well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. We, we, we see a lot of the impact that it has on people physically and then we have this unique opportunity, I feel like, as an industry to change the way the world does business. Having more compassion, thinking more about the community, giving back, creating sustainable mm-hmm. careers for people. I mean, I remember having yeah. conversations with, like, you know, City College saying, hey, for the first time in some, you know, somebody might, not the first time, but more people than ever before are probably going to be interested in supply chain management. <laughs> you know, yeah. like things we never yeah. thought about that would be attractive to us. Once you like get engaged with, you know, working with cannabis, like the opportunities that there are for viable jobs that people can really go deep with and be passionate about. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think the actual opportunities are just as rich and wide as the plan itself and as inclusive as, as the plan itself. Um, so yeah, we see that across the travel. So some of the work I did recently in the last couple of years was a national study on the cannabis motivated travel audience. Uh-huh. And again, not surprisingly, there's multiple audience profiles from the can of curious who's never used it to the connoisseur who's going to be very excited as the Appalachians roll out. Yeah. And which cultivars grow great and which microclimates. And then there's all sorts of travelers in between, like the yogis and the and the wellness travelers. And so it's a very inclusive plant. Um, it's evolved. And I think that kind of reflects on every front where you find it. Yeah. And I think when we first spoke, some of the big things that we were talking about were like farm tours and you know, people coming to cities to check out dispensaries, but it's become so much more than that like I noticed I, 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 we were talking before we started recording and I was saying I was heading over to Arizona and Phoenix has uh, a hotel that's going to be catering part of their hotel will be catering to uh, people who are using cannabis yeah the Clarendon yep absolutely uh, yeah they're dedicating rooms and there's a few other components to that they have a, <clears throat> a rooftop deck um, some meals going on some really cool cuisine things and yeah, and they've identified and, and they recognize the cannabis travel audience that research has identified, which is a high value traveler. You know, these are people that that like to travel, and they also double as wine enthusiasts and foodies, and and they enjoy exploration and set and setting. Right? Not that surprising. Um, so now that there's data around this traveler and what the median household income is, you have groups like the Clarendon. Um, and, and even destinations now looking to take a leadership role and really create a coordinated destination strategy around this for the visitor. I find that really exciting because, you know, it's, I think the more that we engage people and the more we start looking, like, like when we first, for the longest time, there was a certain stereotype of people who used cannabis and that's not knocking stoner culture because it's a very rich thing and there we all need to enjoy it in the ways that we do but 
there is also something around the stigma around that culture that has made our policymakers think that it's not as important to serve the needs of people who use cannabis, which is why we've seen some pretty backwards policy around cannabis. And I feel like with the advent of more tourism and really seeing that data data and seeing people getting more engaged, like um, my company is working with Philip Wolf and the Claremont to do a couple dinners this fall. Um, and, and one of the things that I see is that, you know, well, when people come and they're frustrated about policy, one of the biggest things I've been trying to push in recent years is, hey, it's time to let our policymakers know that, you know, we, we have jobs, we pay taxes, we are, you know, members of society that get things done, we use cannabis, and we vote. And I feel like with how tourism is getting more sophisticated and these larger companies are starting to identify, you know, this culture as a resource in a way of, like, deepening, you know, their hospitality industry, that we may see, we may be more visible to the powers that be, and they may start to realize that their jobs are on the line if they don't start creating better policy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm really, yeah, I know I hear every word. Um, and I agree, you know, having a having a having the correct pathway to support safety, you know, through the travel end, you look at not just visitor safety, but also hospitality and hotel industry, travel industry safety, whether it's a frontline staff member at a hotel in downtown San Francisco, or the concierge who's being asked, you know, where can I get legal cannabis that's tested and safe to access and having meaningful responses for this and partnerships, just like any other travel industry ecosystem partnership. Um, and part of that policy is safe places to consume and experience and, and purchase cannabis. And if we're going to do this the right way, it's taking it a step further and making it experiential as well as educational um, and making sure that we keep the culture and the history alive so we can learn about what essential means and, and what compassionate cannabis was and all the amazing milestones that it took from the advocates and activists to the patients and the queer community and just elevating all these amazing stories that are part of the quilt of, of the cannabis history of California. Um, and, and each region kind of has their own because cannabis has, you know, spread across the world. So there's a lot of amazing history and culture to kind of bake into the visitor experience um, in a smart way where it really makes it compelling and the best version that it could be. And I do believe that travel, there is a responsibility of the travel industry and any cannabis and consumption, any consumption lounges and retailers and tour companies that cater to this demographic, um, to do it justice and to be responsible and to create a great experience. So people, when they head back home from their trip to San Francisco, they talk about what an amazing experience it was and how much they learned and not, have the story about how they had to cancel their dinner plans because they took too much. Yeah. So we want people to have a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important. I mean, that's what, you know, so many times like in the past, especially in two fifteen days, we talked about safe access as being, you know, safe places to consume you know, product at a reasonable price so that people didn't have to get themselves in dangerous situations to get what they needed. But it mm -hmm. is also about education. And that's, that's, one of the things that, like, 
I really, I feel like we need to have more conversations about, I'm really glad that there are more professionals out there that are able to have the conversations with people about where to start out with dosage or what to do if you've taken more than you need. And I, and yeah. when you're mentioning the concierges, that was one of the things that uh, with task force that I was thinking about because we used to have a concierge that would come into apothecarium all the time. And she would say, you know, people always, you know, people, you, you want something, especially if you want something that you're a little nervous about asking about, who do you ask? The concierge, <laughs> the keeper yeah. of secrets, <laughs> but right. you know, really right. utilizing them as a tool to keep people safe, I think is a great idea. And also just to, you know, keep people in the know as to what's going on. I really would, I, one of the things that I really wanted to do on a city level was have emergency responders be better versed in what to do when somebody takes too much. And I had mentioned having, you know, CBD on hand, like in a tincture format or even like inhalable vape pens. And we had somebody from SFPD was one of the seats on the on the task force and he was like you mean like when people overdose on opiates and you you know you get the needle I'm like no no man <laughs> it's nothing that dramatic <laughs> it's a, it's a sublingual preparation that you can keep in your medicine kit that's that's yep. all you need yep. so, i mean that's yeah. that's a thing like they i think um as we start to see more of, of this, people will start to understand like how 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 it's not as threatening as as people who are not in the know around cannabis use, you know, might be afraid it is. Like I used to throw large cannabis events back in the day, and every time that I would rent a new venue, they would always be extraordinarily nervous. And then after it was done, mm -hmm. they're like, you can come back anytime. My bathroom wasn't trashed. No one threw up. Nothing got broken. Everybody was really yeah. chill. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 It usually leads to deep discussion or, or enjoying eating and drinking <laughs> That's <laughs> or, it. or artwork, right? It's like a sensory enhancement tool, which is kind of how we couch it. When I work with destinations, we especially for the THC rich experience. Often we look at how it pairs with set and setting and what kind of cultivar you're taking or products. So, and actually at the Emerald cup a few years ago, prior to COVID, um, I went around and did some kind of on the fly interviews with the security that was there. And I mean, every, every, I put a little, I think I have three that I kind of stitched together and put online, but all of them are just like, same thing that you just said. It's, it was, it was the most mellow, kind of easygoing, you know, much less riffraff and less problems than really alcohol heavy, um, environments. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, that was just organic testimonials from people who weren't even attending who were there running security and they were bored sitting in the corner, like watching people and there was nothing to do. Yeah. So. That's it. It is. It's so funny. Cause when I think about like, I, you know, I worked in corporate and then I worked in nonprofit, but of course in corporate, it's like you have those huge holiday parties where there's always some mishap where somebody doesn't behave. You don't, yeah. you don't get that at the company parties and cannabis. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Cause most of us, you know, would rather smoke than drink. And if you do drink, it's, it's within reason. And that's actually, do you, what are you thinking as far as like, I mean, 
So there's cannabis. And then when we're in California, we have wine and cannabis. And that's, I think, it's in some ways, it's a really nice combo. And in other ways, like for especially for people who are new to cannabis, you know, when I used to work in the store, people would come in and say, oh, I'm on my way up to Napa and I want to pick up, you know, some wheat. And I would say, you know, that's great. And I talked to them and I'd ask them about, you know, their experience and everything. And sometimes they were very experienced. So I was like, oh, we don't need to have any conversations. They know what they're doing. But other times it was like people who were like bright and happy and shiny and we're in California and let's just do everything. And I'd be like, well, let me give you a little bit of advice. Have fun. You, if you don't make sure your weed and your wine if you're not experienced with cannabis because that's not going to be fun for you. Do it separately so you can enjoy it. Or if you insist upon doing them at the same time, use your cannabis first. Get a feel for the effects that you're having and then proceed because there's nothing. I mean, we, we, you only have to do it once, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, well, I'm, I'm in full agreement with you on the last part of that. Like, I think that cannabis and alcohol, as long as cannabis is used first, it's just like liquor before beer and the clear beer before liquor never been sicker. Mm-hmm. Cannabis has the same principles, I think, across the board with alcohol, be it wine, spirits, or craft beer. If you use cannabis first, I believe that it could even help mitigate the drinking. Um, and perhaps it could even enhance the experience because the flavors and texture and tannins and mouthfeel, if you have the right dose, it's going to amplify those senses and bring out the characteristics of a wine tasting in a deeper way. So when I hear battles between the wine industry and cannabis industry, I feel like it's very short sighted. I think that there's opportunity to innovate and really own a special discussion around how cannabis can enhance anything whether it's food or food or wine um because it enhances the palate and it stimulates the appetite right that's so true and and i always find it really funny too because we have we have friends that are grape growers and winemakers and most of our friends that have been growing grapes for decades have also always grown weed for themselves Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah it's kind of simple i mean that's part of it too yeah, it is. And like, because I live in Sonoma County and I hear about some of these battles and these fear-based perceptions. And all I think is, wow, imagine if the grape growers actually got together with the amazing cannabis brain trust and you had these two brilliant industries that are signatures of a region collaborate yeah. with like a, with a, with a spirit of like, we're in this together. What an opportunity. I mean, it would just open up all kinds of amazing collaborations. Um, which is could be as simple as really great Pinot grapes that grow in the Russian river here where I live and maybe even apples like from that region, very famous for apples. Right. And like bringing in some of the other signature agricultural crops and creating really cool uh, collaborations with cannabis cultivars. Yeah. And just leaving the alcohol out for now. I mean, that's a whole, that's going to come down the road, but well, yeah, I, I wish there was a little more collaborative spirit in some ways, but it will take it will get there. It's just going to take some time and more communication and education and oh, data. Uh, totally. <laughs> well, and I feel like we are like it's it's starting a little bit because what was it? Maybe maybe a year and a half ago or so, I had Phil Katori on the podcast, and he's he's known. The New York Times dubbed him the Wizard of Green because he's one of the the 
earliest, you know, organic biodynamic grape growers. He does he grows for a lot of the vineyards in the area, and he has he and his son Sam have um, their own label called um, Sixteen Six Hundred, and they're wonderful. And actually, their Grenache juice is mm-hmm. featured in uh, Rose L.A.'s little single Turkish Delights. And, you know, Phil's been growing for himself for years, and we had, like, an amazing conversation about, he was talking about even looking at um, terroir and, you know, the cultivars, you know, comparing it to, like, when he works with grapes and just all the amazing characteristics that come out. It would be like, I just think about, like, you know, a farmer's market in wine country where you can get amazing produce, amazing cannabis, Mm -hmm. And local wine, all at the same place. Wouldn't that just be something? It would. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I like to. I, I fully believe it will get there. Um, yeah. It needs to get there. You know, it needs to. It needs to get to that place because um, all of them coexisting: food, wine, cannabis, craft beer. Yeah. Um, you know, it elevates the local region, which is is inherently connected to travel. And having a wonderful visitor experience offering that is authentic um, and separating those out um, does a disservice to a degree. Um, So once we get there, it's going to be in its best form. And I look forward to that day. Absolutely. I was recently actually talking to some farmers markets that are happening up in Mendocino now um, that are very exciting that are, you know, along the lines of what you're, what you kind of shared with this experience, um, with a lot of locally grown uh, vegetables and as well as cannabis. That's so. so cool. So, Brian, tell me, what are you excited about? What am I excited about? I'm excited. That the, so the travel industry, I've watched the arc of adoption over the last six, seven years of work I've done with, with the travel industry, um, just being kind of the educator and data guy and helping make it relatable, everything from hemp to cannabis, from packaging to Um, to concentrates and I'm excited that we're now in the era where there's destinations in California doing holistic strategy that includes, you know, hotels, airports, and what I call the travel ecosystem of a destination, you know, attractions like the SF MoMA, you know, these are art galleries. It's, you know, it's the 20 or 30 businesses that are the crown jewels and really make up the visitor experience of a destination. And now there's leading destinations in this in, in the California market that are creating these holistic strategies that are coordinated from visitor arrival to departure. And the fact that that is where it's at today is extremely exciting because that means that normalization and travel is, is closely on the horizon and, uh, and arguably has already begun to arrive. Um, so I'm excited that we've reached that point for the travel industry. I think it's going to be a win-win across the board. And I think as kind of the leaders of the travel industry adopt the power of cannabis and hemp and travel, it's going to really elevate our state, our history, our culture, going back to the missions in hemp, you know, all the way through. And uh, we have so much to tell, you know, from, from the intentional communities, the organic food movement, the back to the landers, hippies, beatniks, all of it, the queer community, the Castro, what Dennis Perone did. It's just layer upon layer of story, and uh, and it's and it's just such a well and a treasure trove of experience 
with really important messaging that comes along with sustainability and regeneration and open-mindedness and compassion. Yeah. So it's just, I'm just thrilled because I think travel is, I mean, it's a $140 billion industry in California alone. So it's, you know, aside from the economics, it's a platform to educate. Mm -hmm. And now that it's getting adopted at those levels, it's going to be able to serve a better, higher and more, a more coordinated purpose than it has thus far. So I'm excited about that. That's awesome. I, I was just, when you were mentioning the caster, that's, that's the one thing for me, like with, you know, I, I was in San Francisco for 23 years before I moved over to Oakland. And, you know, I, I pretty much spent most of my time between the Castro and the mission during that time. And one of the things that, you know, I've, I've always felt, and I was really, I realized that I was living in my little, my little bubble was um, because a lot of people don't think about it unless they're immersed in it. But really, like, when we're looking at the story of cannabis and the history of cannabis, not forgetting the fact, you know, sometimes people look at me funny. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, but cannabis is inherently queer. I mean, we are looking at something that helped people through, you know, the AIDS epidemic. I have so many friends who lost friends through that. And, you know, they talk about different ways that they would have to get cannabis for loved ones to help them eat and feel better. And I know for myself as a cancer survivor, that was a huge part of my survival as well. Um, but just like the rich, the rich LBGTQ history around cannabis and how we really have to uphold that. And it's, it's something that I, you know, I was so insulated for the longest time in our little our little bubble in the Castro, like we used to just joke that we we're just a bunch of nerdy queerdos playing with weed <laughs> behind the counter at the store, you know, and um, and then getting out into the greater cannabis community. And there's a lot of amazing things going on, but there was definitely, I felt in some ways there was some erasure with like heteronormativity um, with cannabis. And I think that it's something that we cannot forget and that we really have to preserve. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are around that. I I completely agree. I think, um, I think the story of cannabis and, and how it became re-legal in the U S um, is really important. And it's, it's, it's largely a Bay area story. There's, there's other stories that kind of complement that. But the crux is in the Bay and in the Castro and what Dennis and Brownie Mary and, and their followers and community did to organize and sacrifice with a whole bunch of help. You know, there's a, it takes a village. And, it sure does. And, and the fact of the matter is it came to, when you really get drill it down for me, at least the way I understand it, is, you know, cannabis is here today because literally humans were dying and wasting away. And it was so awful and traumatic and, and, uh, intense, um, that that is the brink it had to hit for compassion to be, to, to start shifting perspective. Um, you know, back when, when Dennis was still with us, you know, talking to him and John and Wayne and some of those guys and hearing about Jonathan West and yeah, that's a great person. Yeah, but you hear about these stories where there was a community that was suffering to a degree that is incomprehensible, and um, cannabis was the only thing that worked. And I think that I think that honoring that history is incredibly important. I think it will help 
solidify the foundation, the cultural foundation of the cannabis industry and compassion. And hopefully we can keep that as a beacon to keep toggling back to as we grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part, that's part of the work I do. And there's a lot of others that do the same um, to really try to keep these stories at the forefront and be training the new bud tenders and the new people that are entering the industry to understand why this privilege exists to even be here, to be part of this legal industry um, and, and what that took, uh, not just the sacrifice and the pain, um, the sacrifice of advocates and activists, as well as the suffering of, 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 of patients and, and people that were grasping for a way to live and a way to eat and a way to relieve pain and suffering. Um, and it's also, it is a queer story, you know, and, and, and the queer community has been marginalized for a long time. And it's really interesting that, you know, Dennis and other members of the queer community led this in some ways with their, with their community. They were community organizers around this. I think it's an opportunity to, um, to, to honor that legacy as well of, of marginalized communities coming together and, and having a collective voice around something that mattered. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I think that there's been, it worries me a little bit. I feel like the queer voice isn't really represented in a unified way in industry. Mm-hmm. I don't see a whole lot of organizations that are that are that are organized or associations that are dedicated to the LGBT community voice in the cannabis industry. Um, and I hope that that changes in the future. I think there's decent communication that I know between that community, but to have a seat at the table to acknowledge the history um, and to work to preserve the history. And to also guide and steer the cannabis industry forward, I think, is incredibly important. And there are a lot of queer people in the industry, be it from the LGBT community or people that are just queer, right. you know, which is an ever-growing definition. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's so true. And I think, too, it's nice, it's good, and it's essential for people to have people from the LBGTQ community. Sorry, I haven't had my too much of my coffee today. To uh, to have somebody to see as a mentor and to be inspiring, like um, my colleague Emerson Palmer, I I had him on the podcast last last year. No, it was in 2019. Gosh, with this pandemic, all the months just kind of go into one another. But we we had a really great conversation because I had I had the honor of of knowing him when he was transitioning, and just hearing about what he went through with hormone troughing and different things like that and how he was able to use cannabis as a tool to support him through that journey. Mm -hmm. And he shares that, you know, he's very open with it and he's very inspiring to a lot of people because in this world where we see a lot of people who don't understand, you know, that other human beings, you know, have choices and they have other things going on in their lives and their identities may not mesh with what that person thinks is, you know, a person should be identifying as we need to have strong mentors to be able to help people through their journeys of figuring out who they are, what they're doing, how to support them mentally and physically. And, you know, if cannabis is a tool that they want to choose for that, somebody that's relatable and strong and intelligent to be able to look towards to have, you know, information or maybe even have a conversation. Yeah. No, I think having, 
I think having leadership in, in communities is really important and representation, right. Um, to support everything you just said. Um, and in, in addition to that, I think it's important to have very smart and robust educational campaigns about how cannabis helps with the more difficult parts of life, you know, or if you're stuck in a loop, it really can help you change your relationship, whether it's chronic pain or whether it's suffering around being closeted or going through a transition, or maybe you're trying to overcome something that happened in your youth, whatever blockers we have, and we all have them, Mm -hmm. you know, cannabis can help be a vessel to a deeper understanding or a different perspective to help change your relationship to whatever suffering that is, um, whether it's physical, mental, or spiritual. Yeah. And I think the more that we have programming around that, so people know how to engage and set intention and, and meet things where they're at and use cannabis in a, I think, I think there's something there. And I think it's really important to make that known in addition to having these leaders that are, that are kind of evangelists that have been through it and have, and have experienced the power that cannabis can bring to, um, to help shift that perspective. So, right. And yeah, the, I c- agree with you. Could be in a retreat and Hey, people will travel to go to retreats like that to get the support and the education that they need and the inspiration. I think that yeah. tourism is just, it's a very inspiring thing. It's, it helps us look within to figure out who we are by looking mm-hmm. outward and getting to meet other people and places and broaden our outlook, which only, which only gives us greater compassion for the world around us. I agree. And it's linked directly to connectivity. You know, you feel connected because you've, I mean, when you travel, you're picking up experiences, right? Emotions, data, smells, feel. Um, what you see and these experiences shift you, they become part of you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's part of life experience. And, and, uh, and I think cannabis can serve as a connector in that way as well. Yeah. You know, much like it's a, it can change your relationship or help shift your, your perspective or unlock something that you weren't understanding about a situation you're in. It has the ability to facilitate connection. And I mean, just the direct line to what I just said is the connection to yourself so you could really do some self work and, and kind of find your voice and do some fine tuning there and, and some deep thinking for yourself to problem solve. But it also connects us to each other and it also connects us to nature and the earth. And I think that it helps magnify connectivity and, um, and it also helps lower inhibitions. Some, some cultivars really help lower the filter and the inhibitions and bring us into the present to have true connection with another person. You know, one of my favorite case studies to share with people when I'm educating is how cannabis, there were, there were some, there were some uh, experiments done around world, world war two of using cannabis as a true serum, which I think is another form of honesty and connection and communication and being, you know, authentic and present and all these things that, that the world needs more of. Um, so if, you know, tying this back into travel, I would love to see retreats to your point. I'd love to see programming that fosters all these principles. Um, so we can all feel a little bit more empathetic and compassionate and connected. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. What are some of your, for people who are looking for maybe, you know, destinations, places to stay, or if they're interested in tours or things, things that, you know, if they want to get out and about and, and get immersed, what are, what are some of your favorites that people should check out? I mean, right now, my two favorite counties to travel to um, for cannabis for cannabis experiences are Mendocino and Humboldt. Oh, totally. Um, just because it's so entrenched, and I'm also a total nature guy. So, you know, up there, time is more fluid. You know, it's it's they're they're what I call places of source, um, not just for plant cultivation and like craft and curing and harvesting and all the amazing agricultural elements but the culture it's kind of a place of source for culture because that culture has co-evolved with this plant uh pretty closely over the last 50 years and you can feel it up there that it's intertwined so i enjoy it because of the stunning beauty and but i love the people i like the culture it reminds me of traveling it feels like an expat community lots of freedom and creativity and art and quirkiness and and uh, I really enjoy, you know, as a traveler, I really enjoy that greater Palm Springs region, West Hollywood, San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley um, are all destinations that have some amazing things cooking. And when COVID lifts, it's going to be a whole new ballgame. When COVID lifts, we're going to have cannabis lounges and really cool ones that are like not just cannabis, but also art and performance or not just cannabis, but also discussions around intimacy and sexuality, um, not just cannabis, but cannabis and cuisine, you know, in West Hollywood, there's two or three lounges that are very much about cannabis, um, as a, as a nutrition and cuisine. And of course, wellness, wellness is going to be the heart of the cannabis. If there's going to be a top kind of hierarchy of how cannabis really manifests. It's going to be deeply entrenched in wellness and well-being, and it's going to be physical and and mental health, but spiritual health I think is going to get a whole new boost, and people are gonna and people are craving it. Yeah. So I are. think it's going to really shine a light on that. Yeah. That's awesome. And if people want to get a hold of you, follow you on social media, how would they do that? So yeah, so my um, I have a few things I do. So there's there's three websites. There's the Cannabis Travel Association dot org, which is a it's a it's a member based association. That's the United Voice of Cannabis Travel. It's international. And then there's the Cannabis Trail dot org, and that's a nonprofit, um, and it's a nine county legacy trail that honors the pioneers and the historical moments of the cannabis movement from Santa Cruz up to Trinity and the Emerald Triangle. Um, and then cultivar brands that you mentioned in the intro, um, that is essentially my consultancy, uh, marketing and destination solutions company. So I work with destinations like Palm Springs and West Hollywood and Mendocino to do that strategy, that coordinated strategy of really helping find the connective tissue and, and bridging the gap between cannabis and travel and making it a normalized and safe and culturally rich uh, visitor experience. Maybe even a little transformative. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Yeah. And my, I'll just get my Instagram. So my Instagram is Brian with an I and then C as in cat and then Apple Garth, G-A-R-T-H. And, uh, or you can email me B-A 
um, patbryanapplegarth.com. Awesome. And for those of you out there who want to follow Planted, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Our website is www.plantedwithsarah.com. It's Planted with Sarah on Twitter and on Instagram, and it's Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show today. Your voice is so important with the normalization and safe access, and I just really love the work that you're doing, and I know you've been at it for a really long time, and I I know that I'm not alone when I say that, you know, you're just so well-regarded and such a gift to this industry, so I just... Just to be able to reconnect with you and have some time to chat about this. We have so many more conversations to have, of course. <laughs> and yeah. as it starts to develop even more and when we get out of the pandemic, we should really regroup and talk about the state of the nation and cannabis tourism again. Anytime, anytime. And thank you, Sarah, for your work. You know, I, I, I lived in the city and came aware of what you've done and who you've been in the space and um, it's been amazing to watch everything you've created and, and the role you've played. So thanks for having me on, and I look forward to our next chat. Ah, oh, thank you. And for all of you out there, remember, Planted is twice a month, so stay tuned for our next episode. And until we meet again, it's a crazy world out there. Be kind to one another. It makes the world a much better place. Stay safe, stay curious, and we'll see you next time.